0: Take your copy of God's Word and look with me to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 9, beginning in verse 13, as we continue to make our way through this declaration of who God is and what God is doing and how God is doing it. You'll notice even from the reading of your Headlines in your own Bible when you come to each of these plague narratives, they tell you the fifth plague, the sixth plague. Notice in your Bible this morning and right above verse 13, it tells you the seventh plague. For those of you who have been in the context of church for many years, you know that there is a significance to the number seven. And by the way, without me saying much, you can look at this plague narrative and tell that there's something, something, there's something unique about this plague narrative. Why? Just simply look at the length of this plague narrative. Chapter 9, verses 13 through 35. It covers two and a quarter full columns in my Bible. Whereas, for example, last week, plague five and plague six themselves don't even cover one column in my Bible. It should be no surprise to us that here in plague number seven, the Lord makes a number of interesting comments that in some ways fill in the narrative for us. It fills in the gaps that have been missing along this narrative. We're going to see those this morning. As this is the longest of the narratives thus far and makes this incredible revelation of exactly God's intended, intended purpose, what God is seeking to accomplish, not only in Pharaoh's life, in Egypt's life, in Israel's life, but in your life and in my life. We learn from this text that God's purpose in Israelite slavery, God's purpose in Israelite slavery and pharaonic hardening is that his name might be made known in all the world this is a narrative at the end of the day about God's ability to redeem and to save his people to pull his people out of slavery and we come to these texts and this plague narrative and it's not only a narrative about God's power and and God's might, and God's reign, that God is powerful over all creation, that God is is mighty in his works, that God reigns even over all those parts of creation where people don't bow to him. It's not only about that narrative. This is a narrative that also reveals to us Something about God's purpose and even allowing Israel to find herself now for some 400 years in Egyptian slavery. What is that purpose for Israelite slavery and Pharaonic hardening? The purpose is that God's name might be made known in all the earth. As we make our way through this narrative, you'll notice that there are a number of similarities that occur in this narrative and everywhere. Moses and Aaron are going to do what they do at the beginning of all of the plague narratives. They're going to go before Pharaoh and make some type of declaration. You're going to see a correspondence between Pharaoh and and Moses, and Aaron. God is going to do what he said he would do. He's going to rain down judgment against Pharaoh and the Egyptians. But there's also some interesting differences. One difference we learn from this text of scripture, God tells us exactly what he's doing. We also see from this text of scripture that there are a few Egyptians who are going to fear the Lord more than they fear Pharaoh now. It's like, you know the saying, fool me once, shame on me. No, no, no. I got it wrong here. Shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Thank you. Got it right. How many times now have the people in the land of Egypt been fooled, if you will, by Pharaoh? And now there's an indication in this text that there are some of these slaves who are actually paying attention and responding to the Lord. Exodus chapter nine. Verses 13 through 19, we see that God declares his purposes for Israelite slavery and pharaonic hardening. Verse 13, then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews. We've seen this moniker now for the third or fourth time, the third time where God is making himself known specifically as the God of his people, the God of the Hebrews. And this is a declaration that God has been saying now for several months to Pharaoh. Let my people go so that they may come and serve me, so that they may come and worship me. For this time I will send all my plagues. Notice the majority of your English Bibles translate this next phrase on you yourself. But quite literally in the Hebrew, I'm going to make all of these plagues appear upon your heart. Now, isn't that interesting? Where have we seen this heart language in this narrative before? What's taking place with Pharaoh's heart I'm going to send all of these plagues on your heart and on your servants and on your people so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now, I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalted, exalting, exalting yourself against my people, and you will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hell to fall such as has never been in in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now therefore, sin, get your livestock, and all that you have in the field into safe shelter for every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hell falls on them. Finally, you might be thinking, Finally, we get a glimpse of understanding of exactly why God has shown patience and mercy toward Pharaoh. Finally, Finally, we understand the passion of Aaron and Moses at why they're willing to go back time and time and time and time again and make this same simple prophetic declaration Let my people go so that they may serve me. We finally understand the entire purpose of God and even allowing Israel to be in slavery. And why God continues to allow this, this narrative with Pharaoh to take place. Notice in verse 14, a word that occurs here in this text. Twelve times the Hebrew word kol, all, occurs in this text. Look at chapter 9 verse 14. For this time I will send all my plagues on you at the end of verse 14. There is no one like me in all the earth. Chapter uh, 9 verse 16 that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Verse 19 send and get your livestock and all that you have in the field for every man and beast that is in the field verse 22 i'm going to cause hell in all the land of egypt on man and beast on every plant in the field verse 24 has never been in all the land of egypt the hell struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of egypt both man and beast and the hell struck down every plant of the field, and broke every tree of the field. You get the sense from reading this text, from this repetition of this word all, that there is indeed something unique about this plague narrative. And what do we learn from this repetition of all of these words all? It begins for us right here in verse 14. For this time I will send all whose plagues? My plagues. So that you will know there is none like who? Me in all the earth. God is showing us and reminding us and reminding the Egyptians And reminding Pharaoh that all power and authority and sovereignty lies in the hands of one being and it is not Pharaoh. God is is the one that is in control of all of the events that are taking place throughout this narrative. And Pharaoh... your hardened heart, your stubborn heart, your willful disobedience, your stand against me. God says, I want you to know, I'm going to unleash all of my plagues on you. A reminder of the plagues that we've already seen. A reminder of the plagues that are to come a reminder to Pharaoh that he can never escape the judgment of God. And by extension, friend, a reminder to you and me that neither can we escape the judgment of God. It is all encompassing. It is all powerful. It is directed all by God against those who reject God himself, who reject the supremacy of Christ, who reject faith in God. Moses says, I'm going to send, God says, I'm going to send all of these plagues, and all of these plagues are going to be directed at your what? Heart. But notice the gloss of many of our English translations. Many of our English translations gloss this word and give us a translation of on yourself. Why? Because in Egyptian mentality, the heart was the very seat of who a person was, it was, in some ways, the measure of exactly your character. It was the seat that controlled everything about you. So this is why our texts say, I'm going to send it on you, yourself. I'm going to place it upon your heart. This is the intended direction of God's judgment against Pharaoh. But not only Pharaoh, to whom else is God's declaration intended? The text of Scripture tells you and on your servants, and on your people. All of Egypt. But why, we might ask? For one purpose. So that you may know there is none like me. Where? In all the earth. If you want to take your worship guides and come back to Deuteronomy chapter 10, we read from this text of scripture this morning. And of course, Deuteronomy is going to be a reflection on this event. And if you read from this text of Scripture this morning, you, you heard this reflection from Deuteronomy about the entire Exodus narrative. Look at verse 17 of chapter 10 of Deuteronomy. For the Lord your God is God of what? God of gods, lowercase g. God of gods and Lord of lords. The great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is, not par- who is not partial and takes no bribe. This is what Moses is declaring from the Lord right here. There is no one like God. He is God of all gods. He is Lord of all lords. And this is exactly what Moses is going to proclaim As the nation of Israel comes out of slavery and we have this song of Moses and he rejoices in God's kind, providential care toward his people here, Exodus chapter 15, verse 11. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? And what is the answer, friends? No one. Not one, not you, not me, no one. Not any one of the 330 million Hindu gods, not one of the 100,000 idols that we create in our own hearts, not one of them. Not Joseph Smith, no one. Not Muhammad, no one. There is no one like God. Why? He is showing his superiority and power over every single thing in pagan Egypt. Is the sun God powerful enough to overcome Yahweh? Is the God who gives life and birth powerful enough to overcome Yahweh? Is the God who controls the prosperity of ancient Egypt able to overcome Yahweh? Is the God who controls nature able to overcome Yahweh? Is the physical manifestation of God in the person of Pharaoh able to overcome Yahweh? No. Why? There is no other God like this God. Now, Pharaoh wasn't convinced of that, was he? Some of your neighbors might not be convinced of that. And quite honestly, friend, perhaps you're here this morning and you're not convinced of that. Perhaps you have children that aren't convinced of this truth. In the face of intense adversary, Pharaoh, Moses does not shrink in declaring the truth of who God is. And friends, in the same way, may God call from the life of this church more Moseses and more Aaron's who are not afraid of taking this gospel narrative, even among those who would radically disagree with us and declaring the goodness and the greatness of our God, that there is not another one like him. God is reminding us of the entire purpose of why Israel ended up in slavery and why Pharaoh's heart has ended up hardened, it's so that you and I, we might know he is great and he is mighty and he is powerful and ultimately there is only one who is able to save. Friends, would you dethrone the idols in your own heart? Would you remove those gods that we all worship? Would you cast them away, those those things that always are a priority for you over God? Those things that even at this very moment you know you're working so desperately for such that That entire narrative clouds your mind and your thoughts and your judgments, that you can't think of anything else except that. This is what God desires Pharaoh to know. This is what God desires that I and you might know. And look at God's mercy, verse 15. For by now, I could have put out my hand and done what? Struck you. I could have completely already destroyed you. I could have already brought this entire narrative to an end. We don't have to keep going over the same thing. For by now, I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from all the earth but verse 16 for this purpose i have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed where in all the earth see friends god's intended purpose was not just pharaoh god's intended purpose was not just egypt god's intended purpose was not just israel Think of the goodness of God and the wisdom of God. God's intended purpose was yes, even you and me. God has manifested his power and his mercy and his patience in this way to make this bold, incredible declaration of exactly who he is. And God is reminding Pharaoh that yes, even in his withholding final judgment against his life, God is being kind and merciful. Why? So that the entire world might know who he is. This is exactly what Peter declares in Second Peter chapter three. Hear the words of the Lord. Second Peter chapter three beginning in verse nine. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But be careful, friends. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works. That are done on it will be exposed. There are a lot of people living the Egyptian mindset and worldview. They believe that they are completely, totally in control of the narrative. Of their life. They believe that their world is superior to the worldview that God has presented through His Word. They believe in every measurable way that they are controlling at this very moment their own destinies. They reject like Pharaoh did in Exodus chapter 5. Who is the Lord that I should obey Him? And yes, perhaps even someone seated in this building today who carries the same mindset. Or perhaps we look at our own culture and we wonder, why does God continue to allow these things to take place? Because God's mercy and God's patience is a sign of God's desire to see all come to repentance. Will all repent? No. Friend, don't think that in your rebellion now that you can continue in this rebellion against God And think that just because you're getting away with that rebellion today, that you'll also be able to get away with that rebellion tomorrow. No friends, there is indeed coming a final eschatological judgment in which God will pour out His wrath on all those who have rebelled against Him and against His Son by rejecting Jesus as Lord. Yahweh shows us in this text his incredible patience and kindness. But he reminds us that that patience and kindness and mercy will not endure forever. So what happens? Verse 20 and 21. For the first time, we see that there are some people, even inside the Egyptians, who are finally beginning to get the narrative of exactly who God is and, and who they are not. They are not people in control. They are people under submission. Verse 20, "...then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock, where? Out in the field. See, friends, every time the word of the Lord goes forth, it's demanding a response. It's calling for a response. And notice Moses and Aaron. How many times have they given this declaration now before somebody has responded? we don 't know the exact narrative of how long it took for these plague narratives to take place. perhaps uh, many scholars believe they began in, in August, what would have been our August from the first na- from the first uh, plague that took place, and think that perhaps because of the planting of crops that we 're now sometime in February or March, so August to about this time, sometime around. Now. That's not really a long time. But, friends, when you're waking up every day and there are frogs everywhere in your house, when you're waking up every day and gnats are everywhere, when you're waking up every day and the locusts have completely devoured the crops, when you're waking up and there are boils on your skin, and this cycle is taking place over and over and over and over and over, I promise you six months, seven months, eight months, seem like an eternity. And what did Moses and Aaron continue to do? Look what the text says. But whoever did not give attention to what? The word of the Lord. Moses and Aaron continue to declare the word of the Lord, and we are reminded from this text of scripture that it is the word of God that God himself is expecting you and me to trust and obey. It is the word of God that brings about the salvation of people. For Paul will declare in Romans chapter 10 faith comes how? By hearing. And hearing how? By the word of the Lord. Look, we rejoice. There are some people in this narrative who are finally getting it. There are some of these slaves who have finally come to the point in their lives where they are willing to obey the word of the Lord and reject by the recounting of this story the word of Pharaoh. And this image is for you and for me this beautiful depiction of what takes place every time the word of God is proclaimed. You and I are making decisions. Will we trust and obey Or will we continue in our rebellious, stubborn, hardened hearts? Now, the display of God's power. Look at verse 22. God is going to do what he told Pharaoh he would indeed do. Moses and Aaron are going to respond obediently to the Lord and do as God has told them hear the word of the Lord then the Lord said to Moses stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be hell in all the land of Egypt on man and and beasts and every plant on the field in the land of Egypt then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven and the Lord sent thunder and hell and fire down to the earth and the Lord reigned upon the land of Egypt There was hell and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hell, very heavy hell, such as never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hell struck down, what? Everything that was in the field and in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hell struck down every plant of the field And broke every tree of the field only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hell? God executes his judgment in exactly the same way he said he would. But as we've seen so many times through this narrative, and as we've seen so many times in the narrative of the New Testament, Salvation comes through judgment. The salvation that you and I experience ultimately comes through the judgment that you and I deserve, death. And that judgment is executed upon whom? Christ himself. Christ had to experience the judgment of God And in experiencing the judgment of God, you and I receive salvation. Egypt, Pharaoh, is going to experience the judgment of God, but look at this beautiful image. Who is saved? God's people. God's compassionate, kind, loving care for his people. God is protecting his people and in doing so further communicating his ability to control nature right down to very defining marks. I grew up in the panhandle of Florida on a 2000 acre farm. I've shared that a few times. And we lived on a farmhouse at the very front part of this massive ranch. And there uh, were these big windows on the back side of the house and a massive sliding glass door that you could look out. And the beautiful thing about the Panhandle of Florida in many ways is like us in the, in the summer, you're gonna get heat storms that pop up and you're gonna get to see some beautiful displays of lightning, it's just incredibly gorgeous. And I remember one day just to the side of our house was the little road that came into the farm. And right beside that road was a fence line where we had perennial peanut hay planted. And that hay was belled and sold to these um, horse farmers. There was some type of protein in that perennial peanut that was very good for, for horses. And I remember one day being outside, jumping on the trampoline, and you could see the, th- the thundercloud, the storm clouds coming, and looking out across that field on the side of our house and seeing the rain. But as soon as that rain got to that fence line, there was no rain on the other side of that fence. And as a little kid, 10 years old, my sister and I thought this was the most amazing thing that we could stick our hand over the fence here and it rained on us. And my hand on this side of the fence and it was dry. The beautiful, exact precision of God he knows exactly how to care for and protect and provide for his people. We don't always understand. We might not always agree with the provision. But friends, God is always at work providing and protecting his people. But look what, look what Pharaoh does. He sees a death, not only of the plants, but also of people. People die in this narrative. The hell actually kills those who don't listen to the word of the Lord. And look what happens with Pharaoh here in verses 27 and 30. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, this time I have sinned. Now, isn't that an interesting declaration? Have we heard that from Moses yet? Sorry, from Pharaoh? This is the first time we see an acknowledgement on behalf of Pharaoh that he has sinned against God. So we're reading this narrative and we think it's about time. This is great. I've sinned, the Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. It's a corporate confession. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder in hell. I will let you go, and you shall say no longer. And Moses says to him, as soon as I've gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hell, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But look at Moses. Moses has been fooled a couple of times. And Moses is saying, there's not going to be any shame on me. I don't believe you. Look what Moses says. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord. The Lord God, the flax seed and the barley were struck down and the barley was in the ear and the flax was in the bud, but the wheat and the uh, emmer were not struck down for they are late in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord and the thunder and the hell ceased and the rain no longer poured down upon the earth. And here is a big but, verse 34. But when Pharaoh saw the rain and the hell and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again. That confession of faith that we saw back In verses 27, 28, 29, and 30, that confession of sin didn't last long. As one theologian rightly said, any repentance that does not lessen our desire for sin, any repentance that does not lessen our desire for that sin, is no repentance at all. Friends, I must confess to you that there are ways even in my own heart where I find I'm having to continually say to the Lord, I repent, I repent, I repent. And yet like Pharaoh, Pharaoh, I keep coming back and doing those same things over and over and over. And Moses had it right, did he not? I know that you and your people do not fear the Lord. Why? See friends, James wrestled with this same thought, did he not? James wrestled with repentance and faith and works. And James says both. I'll show you my faith by my works. And through my works, I'll show you my faith. This is what Moses is saying to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, I know that you do not have faith in God. I know that you do not fear God. Why Actions speak louder than words. Pharaoh's actions continually show he is not a man of genuine repentance. And look what the text says. Pharaoh sinned yet again, and he made his heart heavy. He and his servants... So the heart of Pharaoh was stubborn. It was hardened. And he did not let the people of Israel go just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. God had already told Moses exactly what would take place in this narrative. So for Moses, it should not be a surprise. What do we and Pharaoh learn from this narrative again? There is indeed only one true God. And where does this true God reign? In all places. In everything. Upon everything. There isn't a square inch of this universe where you can hide yourself and God not be there. Ask Adam and Eve. They tried it. Moses and Aaron, Pharaoh, and Egypt learned God is the one true God. But they also learn that there is one true God who is omnipotent. Pharaoh's power cannot be sustained against God. The other gods among the Egyptian God's cannot sustain their power against God. The God who is in control of the atmosphere and the rain, he cannot stand against God. And we learn that God restrains this omnipotent God, at times restrains his power, for his own purposes. And what is God's purpose, friend? That you and I might know him. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we thank you for the revelation of yourself and showing the superiority of who you are You're patient, you're kind, you're long-suffering, you're just. So God, we ask this morning that in our own hearts, where we're more like Pharaoh than we are like those obedient Egyptian slaves, that God, you would forgive us. That through this text of scripture this morning, you would call us to obedience, that we would trust and obey. Would you take a few moments where you're seated this morning and respond to the preaching of God's word? Have you trusted in God this morning, friend? Or like Pharaoh, are you still seeking to live out life how you desire? In the manner in which you deem best? Would you repent? Will you turn to Christ even now where you're seated? Would you stop giving excuses? Would you submit in humble obedience to God? Would you be a Moses and Aaron believer? Would you purpose in your heart now to be a Moses and Aaron that you're willing to declare the word of the Lord regardless of the circumstances? Would you pledge your life anew to obedience to the word? Would you be like those Egyptian slaves who obeyed the word of the Lord, who listened, who responded rightly? In just a few moments, we're going to stand and corporately respond to the preaching of God's word. Perhaps you're here this morning, friend, and you don't have a right relationship with God. You've never repented of your sins and trusted in Christ, and you have questions about what it means to trust in this God. Myself and Pastor Travis will be standing down front. This will be an opportunity as we sing for you to come forward, and one of us will be glad to share with you how you can trust in Christ. But friend, you don't have to come forward and speak to one of us. There are plenty of people seated around you. Please feel free to turn to someone seated next to you. They'll be glad to share with you. Secondly, maybe you desire for one of us to pray with you. That the truths of this text of scripture might be evident in your heart and in your life. That you might respond rightly to God. Not just today, but in the totality of your life. We would delight in shepherding your heart by praying for you. Or thirdly, maybe you need to express your interest in being part of this faith family, to respond to God in obedience, to live out your life on mission with him, to be connected to his church. Would you obediently respond to God this morning? God, as we respond to you now, may our responses be pleasing to you, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.